We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Let's open up our Bibles today to 1 Timothy chapter 6. Today we have a very practical study uh, about the work, about the word, and about the wallet. (laughs) It's kind of funny as we finish up this book. He says in verse 1, Let as many bondservants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor, so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters... Let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefited are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. So Paul, first of all here, as he continues dealing with the different people in the church, uh, he now deals with something very, very practical, and that is the Christian worker, the employees. Now, he references here in verse 1 to bond servants. That is many bond servants as are under the yoke. This is equivalent to what was known then as slaves. And so, you know, in the culture back then, he's talking to slaves. Think about that. Some historians have estimated that half the population of the Roman Empire was composed of slaves. William Barclay said there are probably like 60 million slaves in those days. And And, you know, many of those people, they were educated, they were cultured. We know that Luke may have been a slave and he was a doctor. Think about that. But they, from a legal standpoint, weren't even considered people. Um, They were slaves. You know, some of you here probably think, well, there's no more slavery today, right? Yes, there is. There's still slavery going on in the world today. Even though it's not legit or legal, it still abounds all around the world with conservative estimates, somewhere around 30 million people that are still slaves, fueling a global slave industry worth $32 billion a year. And so slavery does exist, but you know, for us here in America, uh, today slavery is not our per- personal predicament. Although, how many of you here feel like you're treated like a slave? Yeah, you don't, you don't know my boss, man. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> You know, the application for us is more along the lines of Christian workers, Christian employees. And here's the, the question, you know, how are we towards our boss? You know, really in our heart. You know, Paul here says that we're to count our own masters, that's our boss, worthy of all honor. And you might want to circle that word all. We're going to see it a few times today. All honor, he says. And the reason is so that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And so do you honor your boss? You know, do you honor the employer or the individual who's over you at your workplace? You know, I understand it's a challenge sometimes if your boss maybe he's not saved or if your boss isn't fair. Uh, maybe you have a boss who's lazy. How many of you? No, I'm just joking. I want to ask you guys, you know, you know, or a boss who's tight or who offers, you know, whatever the case may be. You know, but, but Paul here... He doesn't give any exceptions. He doesn't say, unless your boss is a jerk. He doesn't say that. He just says, honor him, you know, your boss. If you can't do it out of devotion because, you know, you see them as a good guy, you've got to do it as a, out of duty because God calls you to honor them 
One translation says they're actually worthy of full respect. Obviously, that would be because of their position, not their person, right? And so we need to honor them. We need to respect them. Never dishonor them. Never disrespect them. Even if they do dishonor you or disrespect you, that doesn't give you, it doesn't give us an excuse because, you know, that's what he's saying right here. We're Christians. You know, if they don't already know that you're a Christian, eventually they're going to find out. And if you're not living like the Lord Jesus Christ, then it gives the enemy opportunity to blaspheme Jesus' name. You know, sometimes we talk to guys, and it could be guys looking for a job. And I always tell them, I always tell them when it comes to their jobs, that your job is not just going to be God's way to provide for your family. That's one of the things. But, you know, right there, almost probably equal to that truth, is that it's a mission field. It's a mission field where God will station you. You know, and that's why you pray and you ask God, where he wants you. And I don't know about you, but I know when I went to work, I, I, when I used to work at Vaughn's for 17 years, I just saw that as a mission field. I got saved through my coworker. You know, one day we're there and we're just throwing up the apples, you know, putting the table. And, you know, we're working, working hard. And he just asked me, hey, are you a Christian? And I said, yeah. He said, what church do you go to? I said, St. Christopher's. I wasn't really a Christian, though. And then he's, I asked him, well, what church do you go to? Calvary Chapel. And then he just said, you should come one day. That's all he said. The next Wednesday I went, and I got saved. My whole life changed. You know, your workplace is a mission field. And please, you've got to make sure that you see it like that. I remember when Brother Joey used to work at the courthouse, man. I mean, he had that gift like Andrew. People would just come to church. You've got to make sure that you see your job that way. You've got to make sure that you live according to the scriptures. You know, I got saved there at work, and it was just cool even over the years to see some of my co-workers actually come to Christ. You know, but another thing I saw over the years was some guys who named the name of Christ didn't live up to his name. And that right there is a shame. Larry, can you go start here? Thanks, Bob. That's where we have to be really careful, you guys. You know, I remember one guy, he was a boss, and, uh, you know, there were different scenarios, but he, everybody knew he was a Christian. Next thing you know, he's embezzling from the company. So what does that do? It then tell, everybody, it gives them an excuse. You know, and although we know it's not valid, because we have to keep our eyes on Christ, we're his representatives. And so he says, don't give them that opportunity. And it's important, you guys. I, I know... You know, going street witnessing is important, and, and um, I can't even begin to imagine what it would be like to be a long-term missionary in Cambodia, or even a short-term. It's just a beautiful thing. But there you are in work, at your workplace, and I pray you would see that as an opportunity for you to share Jesus' name. And that's why the Bible says so much about us being hard workers and good employees even if you have the worst job in the world. How many of you here feel like I got the worst job in the world, right? You know, you have to admit, it's not slavery, right? If you work hard, know this, that God will be honored and you will be rewarded. And let's look at a few scriptures. Uh, first of all, beginning in Ephesians chapter 6. We'll try to get a little bit more specific. 
He says in verse 5, Ephesians 6, bond servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh with fear and trembling in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as bond servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with good will, doing service as to the Lord and not to men. Knowing this, and you've got to know this, you guys, that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And so, number one, if your boss tells you to dig a hole, guess what you've got to do? Dig a hole. If your boss tells you to jump, guess what you've got to do? You've got to jump. The only time you don't have to obey your boss is if he tells you to sin. Or if he tells you maybe to break one of the rules of the company. Now, there are times where, you know, and it's all within the structure of the company where one boss is off. And it's at that time where you can take within the rules of the structure of the company, maybe take it to his boss and maybe you file a grievance of some sort. But even be really careful with those things. I know some people, that's all they do. They don't have this heart. And that's why this is much more than just something on paper. It's much more than a structure. It's a heart. And, you know, I, I, just, I just think it's a bummer sometimes when guys that are working, it's just all about, you know, the way that they, they, just, they just don't like to be, you know, bossed around. I'm like, dude, he's your boss. He's supposed to boss you around, man. You know, he's your overseer. He's supposed to be commanding. He's supposed to be demanding. Yeah, but I don't like the way he said it. Too bad. God put him there. He says to be obedient. Unless they tie to sin, unless they tie to something that you know is against the company policy. You know, but other than that, you just, you're, you're obedient to them. And he says right here, there's something real interesting. You do it with fear and trembling. Now, obviously, then that would be your attitude towards the Lord, right? But he says in verse 6, something really important, not with eye service, as men pleasers. And you guys know how that is, huh? There are some guys, man, when they go to work and, and the boss is around, they're sweating, they're working hard. But then when the boss isn't around, they just kick it, right? And they just they sleep. They put it in cruise control. You know, um, when you go to work, you've got to be so careful that you're constantly under the scrutiny of the Lord. And you're, you know, you're, just, you're working hard. Whether the boss is there or whether the boss is going to find out or not, it's important for us because God does see. He says right here, you know, because otherwise, and to me, it's just a real spiritual, uh, you know, negative stigma to be a man pleaser. I mean, I pray that we would never be that as Christians. I'm a man pleaser. You're a man pleaser. No way. But when you work only when the boss is around, then that's what you are. So you've got to work hard always. And let's just say you've got an extra 15 minutes. What, what, what do you do then? Ask your boss, is it okay if I take a nap? If not... <laughs> Then you vacuum or you empty the trash or you dust. Well, I don't normally do that, but you're getting paid to work. And I think that that's part of the reason a lot of times guys are not blessed in life because they don't have that heart. And they get by with as little as they can do. 
And so what is the, the Bible says? No, you do it to the Lord, not with eye service. You're obedient and all the things that they've called you to do. And God will reward you. See, and then he has a word right here for the bosses in verse 9. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is heaven. And there is no partiality with him. And so a word to the employees, a word to the employers. And then over in Colossians chapter 3, we see something similar. In Colossians 3 verse 22, bondservants. Obey in all things, and there's that word all again. You might want to circle it. Obey in all things your masters according to the flesh, not with eye service as men pleasers, but in sincerity of heart, fearing God. And whatever you do, do it heartily. Who do you do it to? As to the Lord and not to men. Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of your inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. I remember when I used to work at Vons. There's this guy. He was my boss, and he was a, he was really a he wasn't saved, you know, and he was a bad guy. He, you know, he would come down on people. I think for the wrong reason and in the wrong way. And uh, he was the manager type, so he didn't want to get his hands dirty. And so, you know, if we didn't do like things like one of the things I'll, I'll tell you guys when I used to work at Vons is uh, we would work on the produce, but a lot of times it would cost to check, you know, to do the checking. Do you guys ever go to the market, the lines get long, and they call someone to check, open up another check stand, and you get all happy? Okay? Don't get happy, man. Poor guy. <laughs> he's got so much work to do, and now he's got to check, right? Anyways, that would happen to me. I'd be in the check stand all night, and so, you know, I would clock out sometimes and even just continue to work on my own. You know, and again, people will say, well, you shouldn't do that. You know, that's between you and the Lord. But the thing is, is that there were times where it just didn't get done right. And so he'd give us a hard time, and I started hating him. I started hating him. I was a Christian. And then the Lord just really began to deal with me. And he said, you can't do that. He doesn't know the Lord. Honor him. And, and when I finally was just broken of that, and God gave me compassion for him, and God began to do a good work, you know. Then God transferred him out. <laughs> Seriously, he got transferred. We got a cool boss in, and then he got demoted. And see, we were making him look good. He got a promotion, but then they, they didn't make him look good. It all works out, you guys. We have to work hard, though, you see. And we don't do it to men. We do it to God. There's a real uh, cool verse over in Titus chapter 2. In verse 9, he says, Exhort bondservants to be obedient to their own masters, to be well-pleasing in all things. There's the word all again. Here it is, not answering back. That's interesting. Do you ever answer your boss back? You know, you go toe-to-toe with them. He says, no, you don't, you don't go toe-to-toe with them. Not answering back. And, and then verse in 10, he says something interesting, not not pilfering. That that's stealing from them. You know, uh, and I I pray that we would really have that just complete integrity. You don't take things. You don't get the five finger discount. Okay. <laughs> you know, like my wife the other day. And she I know she did this uh, the kindness of her heart, but she uh, 
brought one of the, a little thing home, real small thing, probably worth about 25 cents. And I said, sweetheart, did, you know, we can't do that. Did you, you know, and she said, oh, don't worry, it's covered, you know, and she'll uh, put a little something in the agape box, whatever it might be. But there's got to be that fear in our hearts. You know, and I would say this, too. I remember my pastor always used to tell me this, that, you know, when you're working, you can't just stop working and just witness. You know, and there you are for a half an hour, and you're supposed to be working, and you're doing the work of the Lord, right? You're just sharing the Lord. You know, I would say probably nine times out of ten, if not a higher percentage, that you're stealing from your boss. You're stealing time from him. He's paying you to work. And share the Lord with them during your break. I mean, I'm not saying you can never say anything. Like my, my friend and I, we were doing the apples, and he's talking while we're working. That's a different story, but... When you steal from him, even the time, that's not what Christians do. Christians, they're obedient. They don't answer back to their boss. They don't steal. It says right here in verse 10, but showing all good fidelity, that's honesty, that they may adorn the doctrine of God our Savior in all things. You see, back in in 1 Timothy He's dealing with us as workers. And he says, this is the kind of worker you, you want to be. You want to be a hard worker. And, you know, I don't know how it works, you guys. I remember when I had a friend, we used to, you know, it started at a very young age. I remember I got a lawn job. And uh, it just it wasn't in him to work. Even at a very young age, who knows, I think we were like 9 years old, 10 years old. I was mowing the grass because we did this job together. I was weeding, I was doing all the work, and he was he was just not working. So I think maybe, I'm not sure, but do you think maybe laziness is sometimes an inclination that some people just have in their <laughs> in inside of them? If that's the case, man, repent. Go against the grain of who you are and become a hard worker. It didn't take long for him to get fired. That then spilled over into athletics. I remember when we started wrestling, when we played baseball together, it just never went away. He wouldn't hustle. And it just, it just continues to be a problem in his life. You know, it spills over into the work ethic that we have. And so Paul and Ryan and Timothy says, no, Christians, you guys have to really, you know, work hard there. You know, honor your master so that the name of God may not be blasphemed. That's what happens when we blow our witness. Remember David, everybody knew David loved the Lord. Everybody knew that David you know, had a great relationship with God, that David was anointed by God, David was a killer, David was a soldier, David was this amazing for the Lord. So when he fell into sexual sin, everybody who was in one sense, anybody who was doubting Christianity or doubting, you know, Judaism, they would say, aha, see, I knew that their God was not the living God. Because of what David did. It says in Second Samuel chapter 12, verse 14, that because of this deed, he gave occasion to the enemies of the Lord to blaspheme. And when we blow our witness at work, that's exactly what they'll say. They'll say, uh-huh, I knew his God was not the living God. See, and that's why it's so important to maintain that witness. We see that all throughout life. We read about it earlier in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 14, chapter 2, of verse 5 of Titus, how women are to 
be that godly woman so that the you know the enemy doesn't have an opportunity to blaspheme God's name. Right here we read, let as many bond servants as are under the yoke count their own masters worthy of all honor. Is that in your heart? So that the name of God and his doctrine may not be blasphemed. And those who have believing masters, let them not despise them because they are brethren, but rather serve them because those who are benefit are believers and beloved. Teach and exhort these things. You know, another temptation situation for them back then and, and maybe us today at times is when your boss is a believer. You know, when your boss is a believer, you might be tempted not to work as hard or maybe to take advantage of them or the way they're nice to you, they're lenient with you, they're gracious to you. You know, some people, uh, it's kind of funny the way it works, when they're treated nice by their boss, they work harder. Some people, when they're given, you know, a little bit of leniency from their boss, they don't work as hard. You know, it all depends on the individual, right? It all depends on, depends on you. You know, they might even say, if your boss is a believer, well, hey, we're equal, right? We're equal. You're a man, I'm a man. We're Christians. Now we know, you know, and it kind of changes things. No, it doesn't change things. He's still your overseer. He's still your, your boss. You need to see him that way. You know, honor him, right? Hey, we're equal now. Doesn't it have, you know, now you don't have the right to tell me what to do. Oh, yes, he does. And it's so cool when you have that in your heart. You know, I remember talking to one, uh, one pastor, and he's got, he's got a lot of people on staff. And he told me, never hire somebody who's having problems at work. 99 times out of 100. They're going to give you problems on staff. Because it's not their boss. It's them. See, it's got to be in your heart. You work hard. God does the work. You know, this means that we should give them due respect. William McDonald said this, Work obediently and faithfully, and in general seek to be a help rather than a hindrance. He said, the great motive for such diligent service is that the testimony of Christ is involved. If a Christian slave were to act rudely or rebelliously, then the master would blaspheme the name of God and the Christian faith. He would conclude that believers were a worthless lot. Here's something interesting. The history of the early church reveals that Christian slaves generally commanded a higher price on the slave market than unbelievers. If a master knew that a certain slave on the auction block was a Christian, he would generally be willing to pay more for that slave since he knew that the slave would serve him faithfully and well. He said this is a high tribute to the Christian faith. And so, you know, the, the witness of the early church when they were pure and God was doing such a great work was that if you were a Christian, you worked harder. But today, that is not the case. Today, that's not the case. Just like divorce, it's the same in the church, outside the church. So it is with the work ethic, sometimes even worse. I remember talking to one pastor, and he said that, that a guy called him, and uh, he said he was looking for some, some workers. And he said, you know, well, you know, got some Christian guys over here. He said, no, 
It's no offense, but not Christian guys. Because what's happened, a lot of times they're not the ones working hard. And so we have to have that in our heart. You know, when your boss is a, is, is a believer and a non-believer, whatever the case may be, he says right here, don't, don't despise them. Let them not despise them. And what does despise mean? It means think little of, think nothing of. Do you feel that way about your boss? You got to get that out of your heart. He's your boss. He's the one that God put there. I'm better than him. A lot of times they'll say that I'm better than my boss. You're better than your boss, huh? Hmm. You know, maybe you are. Maybe you are a better worker, whatever the case may be. A better, I don't know. You fill in the blank. Doesn't change things. You know, I remember reading the story in Genesis chapter 16. You guys know the story about um, Abraham and Sarai and Hagar. Um, Abraham and Sarai, they couldn't wait for the Lord. And so they said, hey, I got a great idea. Wife said, why don't you go into my maidservant, Hagar? And so what ended up happening was, uh, you know, Abraham went into her and she conceived. And at that moment, what ended up happening was she despised her mistress. She despised Sarah. She despised the one over her. Why? Because she felt now that she's better than her. And when you read the story over there in Genesis 16, you'll see the word despise over and over again. And so what ends up happening? The angel says, go back, Hagar, and submit yourself to your mistress. And that's what we need to do. We need to have that heart of submission it says right here we need to serve them. The Greek word is douleio. It's uh, the word for slavery, you know. If they're believers, then what ends up happening is believers benefit the ones you love, the ones that are dear to you. Warren Risby said, I recall counseling a young woman who resigned from a secular job to go to work in a Christian organization. She had been there about a month and was completely disillusioned, he said, I thought it was going to be heaven on earth, she said, working in a Christian organization. But instead, she said, there's nothing but problems. And so then Warren Wiersbe asked her, are you working just as hard for your Christian boss as you did for your secular boss? And then she said the look on her face gave him the answer. And he just said real simple words, try working harder and purer. What ended up happening? God changed the situation. He said, she took my advice and her problems went away. Maybe God's just calling you to work harder. And you know, sometimes your boss isn't fair. I understand. Just do the best you can. Why? Because you work for the Lord. So I think it's a word, first of all, for us, um, the, the work Secondly, as we go through our text today, the word. The word. For workers, for teachers. Look again what he says there at the end of verse 2. He says, teach and exhort these things. If anyone teaches otherwise and does not consent to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ, and to the doctrine which accords with godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing 
but is obsessed with disputes and arguments over words from which come envy, strife, reviling, evil suspicions, useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth, who suppose that godliness is a means of gain, from such withdraw yourself. And so, you know, I think just dealing with the issues, like one issue was guys that weren't working hard, they're Christians, they weren't working hard, and so he says, come on, you guys, you know, let's work hard for the glory of God. And then another thing that was going on in the church, obviously, is false teachers. You know, telling them, oh, you don't have to do that. You know, whatever the case may be, going against what Paul had just said in what we read right now and even previously in the whole book. You know, teachers, that have you ever met somebody that it seems like all they want to do is argue? Have you ever met somebody like that? And all they, all they ever do is butt heads with people. They always have issues. All they are is contrary and critical. Now, I think, you know, I don't know. We're all wired differently. I think some of you are, are optimists. How many of you are part of the optimist club? Okay. And some of you are pessimists, right? Now you're just part of the pessimist club. Usually one of the spouses is either or, not always, you know. You know but, but when it comes to teaching the word, um, we got to be really, really careful. You know, I think what Paul was sharing right here was guys who were going against the teachings of our Lord Jesus Christ. Not real practical things. We're going to see in the end right here that they, these guys were just hirelings. They were just in it for what they could get out of it. In this case, money. But we should never be in it for what we can get out of it. We should always be in it for what we can offer to the Lord, what we can give to the people for their good and His glory. If you get caught up in what you're getting out of it, well, I deserve this, or hey, how about some perks over here? then you're off. It should never be even a pat on the back. Well, but man, you know, thank yous. And, you know, yeah, the world is full of those things. You know, when I go in my, my, my chaplain thing, and it's kind of got like the secular mentality, and they will make sure you send a thank you card to so-and-so, a thank you card to so-and-so, and don't miss so-and-so. And, you know, I understand, you know, from a secular perspective but what happens the day that you don't get a pat on the back? You know, you get one every time. Oh, good sermon, pastor. Good sermon. Good sermon. But then the day comes where no one says that to you. What ends up happening is you are feeding off of that. You are feeding off what you could get out of it. No, we do this for the Lord. And these guys right here, they're teaching. They're off. They don't really know the Lord. They're in it for what they can get out of it. And like Paul was writing to the Corinthians, he says, you guys get together and you leave worse than when you arrived. And that can happen when people just, all they want to do is argue right here. And he's got some really ugly things mentioned right here. You know, again, in verse 3, if anyone teaches otherwise, if they start teaching other things and they don't consent to the wholesome, and that word wholesome right there, it speaks of healthy, healthy words. You know, the Lord, through his word, he wants to make us healthy Christians, right? 
even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and that doctrine which accords with godliness, here's his problem, and this is the hard one. He's, pro- he's, he's proud. I would say that most of us here, you know, a lot of the guys, pride is such an ugly thing. You know, I just can't stand when my wife corrects me. I just, I just, it's just so, and immediately, immediately I know your pride. It's your pride. And then as a pastor, you know, I know how bad pride is, how toxic it is. You know, I don't know, be careful with that. But these guys that are teaching and, you know, oh, I want to know the, the, you know, whatever the technicalities of everything and they're arguing about words and things like that. They're obsessed with disputes, you know. I mean, you can do a Bible study on, on, on you know, just people coming to Jesus. Simple message, man. If you don't know Jesus, he loves you. You come to him. Give him your heart. He'll wash away all your sins. And he'll... He'll, man, write your name in the Lamb's Book of Life. He'll bless your life. Just come to Jesus. And all they want to do is argue. You know, Calvinism or whatever the technicality is. He says, when you get people like that teaching, then they come out worse. The fruit of it, from which come things like envy. Envy is so ugly. I don't want you to be blessed. That's an ugly sin. Strife, revilings, evil suspicions. You know, I don't know about you. I don't know if I should camp out on that at all, but evil suspicions. It's like all you ever think, oh, they're, gonna, they're out after him. They're out to get me. And you, that's, that's the fruit of that type of, of teaching, you know, that type of atmosphere. You know, and so when you get people like leading the group or teaching the group like that, he says, you know what? Withdraw from them. Withdraw from them. They're just people who are in it for the wrong reason. They think that being a Christian, even though they're probably not, is is to gain what I can get out of it. No, he says withdraw from them. See, it's a lesson on the work. It's a lesson on the word. And then it's a lesson on the wallet. He says right here in verse 6, Beautiful verse, huh? Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food and clothing, with these we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. Think about that drowning. What an... That would be such an awful way to die. Actually, I was thinking yesterday about a lot of bad ways to die. I don't know why I was thinking that. <laughs> Lord, I just want to die in my sleep, you know. <laughs> but just think about drowning. Drowning. Well, that's what happens when you love mammon over God. He says, that's what happens. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, for which some have strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. See, Christian workers, Christian teachers, Christian consumers, if I can say that, you know, the work, the word, and and then maybe the wallet. And I 
think these are things that, that get in the way, oftentimes, of our relationship with God. You know, for some people, it keeps them from ever becoming a Christian. And for others, it, it, it keeps them from becoming like Christ. Where all these areas have to be surrendered to the Lord, how you work and, and, and the way that you're taught the word and, 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 and what you do with, with money and your attitude towards money. I was talking to my kids about this on the way over here, and I'm like, man, does that mean that I, that I can't have an iPhone? Do I have to go Metro or something like that? You know, uh, can I not have a Bose system? You know, and I was just really trying to get like real specific in these areas. You know, and uh, and and uh, my son Aaron he helped me out. He said, Dad, it's, it's just an attitude of the heart. You know, there are some people who are rich and they they love the Lord. It's not about really the possessions that you have. It's just whether or not those possessions possess you. And it's a matter of who you really love. Jesus said you can't love God and mammon. And what it is right here is a desire to get rich. When all your decisions are based on that, that's when you're going to get off track. You know, if God says, hey, this is what I want you to do, but Lord, all I have is food and clothing. That's okay. Beads and rice. Beans and rice. And Jesus Christ, right? Contentment. Oh, man, we can just stay here all day and talking about contentment. Contentment is huge. The Greek word speaks of that condition in life which no aid or support is needed. It's the sufficiency in Christ. Sufficiency in Christ, there you are with the necessities of life that he's provided for you. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not lack. I shall not want. Is the Lord your shepherd? Maybe the reason that you're lacking is because you're not following your shepherd. Now, maybe the reason you, you know, you're, you're lacking is because you just think you're lacking, but you're not really lacking because you're still not as skinny as some. <laughs> you got food. And you have clothing. Yeah, but I'm not clothed like Solomon. That's the problem. Well, that's why Jesus said, look at the flowers of the field. They don't, you know, go and get their sewing machine and, you know, do all that kind of stuff and worry about what they're going to wear. And yet I tell you, and Solomon and all his glory was not arrayed as one of these. Yeah, but all I got is a not of this world t-shirt. And I wear that three times a week. It's beautiful. Because God gave it to you. You see? And that contentment is this it's that's that's the rich one. You know, I'm not saying you have to be a Quaker, but we could probably learn from the Quakers. I'm reminded of the simple living Quaker who was watching his new neighbor move in one day with all of the furnishings and expensive toys that successful people collect. And the Quaker finally went over to his new neighbor and he said, Neighbor, if ever thou dost need anything, come to see me and I will tell thee how to get along without it. I like that. <laughs> I like that. You know, I want to encourage you in closing two quick things. Be content with Christ. Hebrews 13.5 says, He himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be content with Christ. 
Hebrews 13.5. And then number two is be content through Christ. You know, all the things that we're talking about today, being a hard worker, being a good teacher, or being taught well, um, and, and being good with your money, your wallet, they are only things that can happen when God himself does a work in your heart. Because everything inside this, everything about this body and the world that we live in, it goes against the grain of what we're talking about today. That says, you know, get by at work with as little as you can. You know, fight your boss tooth and nail. Join the union and, you know, just, I don't know, those have good, you know, reasons. You know, at times they're necessary, but it just seems like the heart sometimes is just so wrong where God is just waiting for you to learn submission. You know, these things go against the grain. I mean, the world says he who dies with the most toys wins. You can't be happy without all these things. Go against the grain of that. But what happens is when the Lord does a work in your life, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You guys know that verse? Philippians chapter 4, verse 13. But do you know Philippians 4, verse 11 or 12? Listen to what it says. Paul says, Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned, here it is, it's a learning. I have learned in whatever state I am to be content. I know how to be abased, and I know how to abound. Everywhere and in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And then he says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. See, the context there is just pretty amazing. How he's talking about how, you know, it's a matter of being able to be content. You know? And again, that doesn't mean, well, you know, I can't get a new pair of socks or, you know, I can't get a new computer ever. But you're just really obedient. And, and God sometimes will open doors. Things can happen. But that contentment is something in your heart and you're just looking to the Lord. You know, I, I'll, I have a little Bose speaker, and I, I like it. And, and, I, and I listen to worship music through it. And I didn't have to, you know, auction the house off or whatever to get it, you know. And so anyways, I just know it's a matter of the heart more than anything else. Look what he says right there. He says that uh, we brought nothing, verse 7, into this world. And it is certain we can carry nothing out. And that's just, I think that's helpful to know. You know, before Alexander the Great died, he said, this is what he said, When I'm dead, carry me forth on my bier with my hands not wrapped in cloth, but laid outside. This is something that they really did. So that all may see that my hands are empty. He wanted everybody to see that. Warren Wiersbe said, we always know the answer to the question, how much did he leave? Everything, right? <laughs> you can't take it with you, right? You can't send it ahead, but you can't take it with you. See, those hands which once wielded the proudest scepter in the world, which once held the most victorious sword, which once were filled with silver and gold, which had power to save or to sign away a life, were now empty. The Bible says, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added unto you. You guys know the story of Howard Hughes, right? The richest man in the world at one time owned oil wells, refineries, tankers, pipelines, hotels, 
life insurance company, finance company, aircraft company. You know, he surrounded his 700-acre estate, however, with bodyguards, vicious dogs, steel bars, searchlights, bells, and sirens. In addition, he was afraid of plane ships, crackpots. He feared disease, old age, helplessness, and death. I mean, this guy had everything. But in the end, he was the first to say that money, it cannot buy happiness. You know, I want to encourage you guys to know this. You know, that, you know, we live in a country that we're just so glutted with luxuries that we've forgotten, I think, to enjoy our priorities and even what I would consider to see, to say, the necessities of life. Always pick people over things. And I'm, the Lord has really been speaking to me, man, to, to enjoy people, enjoy relationships with them. Be careful, man. I pray God would sanctify us in the work, in the word, and in the wallet. That we would just be a people with convictions so that we'd be good workers, be good teachers, and we'd be good, I don't know, spenders, consumers. May God give us wisdom. Father, we thank you for your word and just, uh, Lord, pray that you help us connect the dots. Lord, I, I just pray we would love you more than mammon. Give us wisdom, Lord, to, to be good investors in life um, with everything you've given to us. Lord, bless your people. Encourage them today, I pray. And even in all the struggles that they might have, I pray we come back to that verse that you have said, you will never leave us nor forsake us. Thank you. Lord, for that amazing, beautiful, wonderful promise. And so we love you, Lord. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel, El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.